You guys go ahead and take a seat, and good morning, and Merry Christmas. Uh, as you are taking a seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles and meet me in Luke chapter 2. All right, Luke chapter 2. You know, Christmas is uh, my favorite time of year. I love it. It's my favorite season. I love the smells. As a matter of fact, when I came in this morning uh, and this amazing job that they did on the Christmas set, I walked up to the wreath just to smell it, see if it's real. Uh, it is, by the way, so just in case you're wondering. Uh, in my house, half the time you don't smell things, so we just spray little scents around and love that. I love the imagination that Christmas brings to my family, like my kids' anticipation of um, the presents and the, uh, and we have an elf on the shelf and they love that. Like somehow our elf went away last year and came back with a baby. And then my kids asked me where the elf's dad is and I panicked. I didn't know what to say. I was like, well, either she's scandalous or he's at the North Pole. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but we have, a, we have a baby elf and we have an elf and I love the way that they just, they love Christmas and it makes me joyful to think about their joy. Matter of fact, I, I think that's the way that our excitement should be with Christmas. And sometimes I wonder why we miss it. Like, it just becomes this ordinary time as we go shopping and we go through the mundane and it's just another day off. But Christmas is supposed to be so much more than that. If you're new to Christianity, this word Advent, it literally means to anticipate. Or uh, if you're around liturgical churches or you haven't been, um, you build up throughout the course of the month of December, you build up this anticipation of Christmas, of our Savior King, and that's what we've been doing. So last week, we started our Advent series in John chapter 1. If you remember, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Jesus became the light of the world. This idea is, is that Jesus was the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, that in the darkness of our broken world, light shined forth into it to bring us hope and joy. Well, today, I want to build on that concept by looking at Luke chapter 2, and here's the big idea for the text today. Today I want to show you who the Savior came for and what his coming means to us, okay? Who the Savior came for and what his coming means to us. One of the coolest things that I see today is, um, is like these gender reveal parties. Now, we're, we're not old by any stretch of the imagination, but when we had our first kid, Emma, whose birthday is actually tomorrow, um, people didn't have gender reveal parties. We just kind of went to the doctor, you heard the heartbeat, and they told you you're having a boy or a girl, and for me, over and over again, it was like Groundhog Day, girl, girl, girl. Um, so I just resigned the fact that I was going to be a girl dad. And um, as our friends started having kids, these gender reveal parties got cooler. It started out with the doctor putting in an envelope, and you, you didn't see it, so you went home, and you gave it to somebody, and then they bought a cake, and they cut the cake, and you saw like blue or red, uh, or not red, pink. I don't know what red is. That's your demon child. Um, hopefully you didn't get a red one. So, and, and then they got better and better and better. Like, they got crazy. I see, like, fireworks now and people hitting golf balls that explode in the air. My favorite one, by the way, is I have a friend of mine who's really into baseball. So he decided, like, he put on his jersey and he got the baseball bat. He's up to swing and his wife throws him a soft pitch and he swings and whiffs and the ball hits the ground and explodes into pink. <laughs> and you're like, that, that's funny. So Allison and I, on our third kid, decided we were going to get really creative Okay, everybody's doing this, like, if everybody's doing it, peer pressure, we got to do it. So we're like, let's do something crazy. Something like, out of this world, never done before, like, totally mind-blowing. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to find out. I kid you not, we didn't. It was the most amazing gift ever. So I remember the day that Elliot was born, and you have to understand, I have two daughters, and just resigned the fact that I'm going to have a bunch of girls. So I'm waiting with anticipation, and, 
and a little Elliot's born, and she lifts him up, and my eyes go straight, you know, and, uh, and the doctor's like, congratulations, you have a son. And the, um, the, the, the emotion of that moment was so cool. It was so cool. Now, if it had been a little girl, I'd have been just as excited, like amazing. I love my daughters, but to have a son in that moment was awesome. You see, regardless of how you do it, the anticipation of the announcement is incredible. It's, it's the most amazing gift ever, and you often want to share it with the people around you, don't you? you? You grab the most important people in your life, and whether it be the cake that you cut or the fireworks or the, you know, the plane in the sky, the things that people do crazy now, and, and, and you want the most important people to hear the announcement. Well, Jesus, what you're going to see today, had a birth announcement. He had a birth announcement, and the angels uh, in heaven opened up the skies, came down, and they announced the coming of our king, and they did it in the most amazing way. The announcement changed all of eternity. What's amazing, though, is who they announced it to. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8 with me. Listen to what it says. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In case you miss it, let me show it to you again, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. What's crazy about this is not just that the king of the universe made his birth announcement, it's who he made it to. You see, shepherds during the first century would have been known as the lowest in all of society. Rabbinical law actually tells us that they were so low that they were despised and, and considered unclean. They weren't allowed into the cities. They were considered lawless, ruthless people. The only people, rabbinical law will tell us, that were lower than the shepherds was lepers. That tells you just how low they were. See, the Savior of the world made his birth announcement by gathering the angels together to announce to the lowest of the low. He took the people that were considered unclean and untrustworthy, and he announced the Messiah was coming. Matter of fact, scholars tell us, I think this is fascinating, scholars tell us that if it wasn't for the fact that they were probably keeping the sacrificial animals there, they would have even been further away from the city of Bethlehem because um, they weren't considered to be anywhere close to all of society. What's fascinating to me about that, and here's what I love about it, is society casts the shepherds out to watch over the sacrificial animals that would make them clean. But God revealed himself to the shepherds by giving them a living sacrifice that would make us all clean. Do you know why this is so important? Because Jesus, Jesus came for the lowest of the low. He came for those not that were elite or socially acceptable. He came for the low. It's no coincidence to me that even Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. If you think about it, you piece it together. A shepherd wasn't just somebody who guided the sheep. A shepherd was considered low. Think about it. The shepherds were rejected by the elites. Jesus was rejected by the authorities, the elites, and the Pharisees. The shepherds had to live outside of the camp. Do you know where they crucified Jesus? Outside of the camp. I love this. Jesus was outside of the camp because they thought he was not worthy enough to come in, and yet he went out so that we could come in. Shepherds were the poorest of the poor. Jesus was born to a lowly family who couldn't even afford a night at a hotel, so they slept in a manger with a bunch of animals. Jesus grows up and he tells even his disciples that he's so poor that he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. 
The shepherds cared for the sacrificial lamb and Jesus became the sacrificial lamb so he could care for us. See, just like the shepherds, Jesus was the lowly. Jesus didn't come to announce his coming to the highest in society. He came so that the lowest in society could be brought back up. So your good shepherd made his original birth announcement to the shepherds. You see, this is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a story that, if you dig into it a little deeper, is a story of hope for all people. It's a story for you and I. Because if you're anything like me, maybe you came in here today with the realization that a king is for those who deserve it. A king is for somebody who was worthy enough to receive it, and yet you realize that you don't deserve it. You definitely don't fit into that category. If that's you, I need you to listen to the story carefully. I need you to see what Jesus is saying. Jesus didn't come to make his birth announcement to kings and dignitaries. The angels opened up the heavens for those who are far off in the fields, for those who are hurting, for those who don't feel like they deserve it. I think the reason why so many of us don't receive the Christmas story is because we can't wrap our heads around the fact that God would love us. We think that somewhere up in heaven, God is sitting there judging us for all the wrong moves that we make. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote by Robert Farrar Capon. He says this. He says, grace cannot prevail until our lifelong certainty that someone is keeping score has run out of steam and has collapsed. You realize that sometimes we're our own worst enemies. God is keeping score, and the score has been tallied. Jesus is life for yours. He's saying that the king of the universe opened the heavens, and he came down so that you could come up. And no matter who you are or what you've done, you never could be too low for God. That's the point. The point is that sometimes you and I feel so far from God, don't we? We feel like we're in the fields of our despair. We can't even come in. And that nobody around us sees us. I think stories like this are meant to show you from the very onset that God sees you. He sees you. I get the sense, I get, I get the sense that God was up in heaven, okay? And for all of human history, the angels have been awaiting the plan. They, they knew that God created the world and everything was supposed to be perfect. They knew that we wrecked the world. And they're sitting up there and they're wondering, God, when are you going to make this thing right? And then God opens up the heavens and he points down. He says, you see them? You see those guys? And the, and the angel's like, who? The, the shepherds that nobody else sees. You see the people who are in their despair that nobody else wants? The people that are so low? I want you to go tell them. I want you to go tell them the plan. That I'm coming into the world so that they can be saved too. You know why that's so important? Because when you're sitting all alone in the depth of your despair, God's like, I see you. I see you. I came for you. Even when society rejects you, I see you. Even when you feel like you're hiding in the fields of your shame, in those lowliest moments, you have a king that went lower than you to bring you up. So keep reading with me, verse 9. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And this makes sense to me. If you actually read the Bible, angels are not like sitting up in heaven with wings on and a harp. They're terrifying. Imagine being the shepherds and, and the heavens open and, and the skies become blinding white and you hear a voice from the clouds. I mean, my goodness, like if the, the moon gets red, we think the world's coming to an end. And you have the shepherds sitting here and they're with fear and they're, they're sitting there thinking, what is going to happen? But listen to what the angel says. Fear not. Fear not. I love this. I love this. That's a command. It's a command. God's angels weren't coming to bring destruction. They were coming to bring hope. 
the birth announcement was supposed to be one of hope in a fearful world. You know, last week I was in my small group, and my small group leader said something that I felt like was just so profound. He, he said to us, he says, you know, I think we all fear. He said, I think we either fear the light or we fear the darkness. He said, when I was in college, I really feared the light. He said, because what I realized was, is I thought I knew who Jesus was. What I realized was, if I walked into the light, it would expose me as a fraud. So I rejected Jesus. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is the answer to that, because we naturally all tend to fear. We tend to fear the exposure, but listen, the angels say, fear not. Jesus came to bring light without shame, exposure without condemnation. That's the idea, it's exposure without condemnation, and that, that exposure without condemnation is what allows you to be forgiven. I, I'm just telling you, it was, it was when I finally understood the gospel, that, that this is all real, that it actually allowed me to forgive myself. Because it exposed me in such a way that I wasn't afraid of God because he sat there, and, and I, God didn't speak to me audibly, but as audibly as I could hear it, he was like, it's okay. Like, I accept you. I accept you because I died for you. So now you can accept yourself. I, I think about this in just a, a pretty simple way. Even yesterday, I have, um, so my, my daughter got a gift for her birthday, and and the gift disappeared, and I have, you know, three little criminals sitting there, and, and, and nobody would fess up to what happened to the gift. So we sit them down, and we're like, hey, listen, you're not in trouble. Just don't lie. Like, where'd it go? And then they're like, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it. Well, the little one wasn't smart enough not to lie, so he told the truth, and he did it. And, and, and I think they, my two daughters were, like, super fearful, like, what's going to happen? I said, buddy, it's okay. Like, just... Just tell the truth and you'll be okay. And what they found out in that moment is there's no condemnation. You can actually be free to be who you are in our presence. And I think that's what this means, fear not. See, listen, that's what exposure without condemnation does to you. And I think the reason why the shepherds were so fearful, imagine, put yourself in their position. All of society had told them that they weren't worthy. And I just imagine they probably started to believe the lie. So they're sitting out in the field by themselves, they, the, the heavens open, angels come down, and they're probably sitting there thinking, here we go. God's finally found us out as a fraud, and he's going to give us our reckoning that we all deserve. But that's not what happened. See what happened? For behold, this is what the angel said, for behold, I bring you good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's the Christmas story. It's good news that brings joy. The Christmas story is the best news ever because God split the heavens in half in the middle to announce his coming, that he would fix the world, that he would bring joy where there's pain. He'd bring good news where there's darkness and don't miss who it's for. If you underline things in your Bible, that word for all the people matters so much. I think that's the key to it all. The Christmas story is not just for the religious or the elite. It's for everyone. It's for anyone who would receive it. The Savior came to bring good news to anyone. So no matter what you've done or who you are, you're good enough to receive this because your merit is based on Christ and not on what you do. So listen to what he says. For unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's so much in verse 11 that I want to break down for just a second because it's amazing. So if you underline words, again, underline that word born. Underline that word born, because here's number one. This is so incredible. God was born. I think because many of us have been 
in Christianity or around the cultural South for so long, we don't think how, we don't, we, we forget how big of a deal this is. For God to be born, it, 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 most religions in the world say it's actually an affront to God. They say it's so ridiculous that you would make a claim like that because God is better than that. He's utterly separated. He's too holy to do that. And yet God himself says he was born. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it. I love this. C.S. Lewis says, the, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. See, the idea is that God himself would be born into his own creation so that you could be born into his family. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus came down. He came down, and it's so breathtaking that he came down that he gives us life. Now, here's what this means. Because God was born, he entered into history. Because God was born, he entered into history. Now, let, let me just tell you this, because I'm a natural skeptic. I think this is so important. Every religion in the world outside of Christianity is not actually rooted in history. Like, Greek mythology is easy to believe, if you will, because they can just make stuff up and you can't verify it. The Christian story is one that's rooted in history, which means that the claims of Christmas have a backdrop that says, God's saying, go check it out. When I make the claim that Christmas is real, here's what I'm it's historically verifiable. God's not scared of any skeptic in this room going about and saying, what, you know, is any of this real? It happened. Jesus was born in history at a certain point in time 2,000 years ago with real things happening. So if you are a skeptic, I'm just telling you, this is real. Go check it out for yourself. All the history is there. You can go do your research because it's true. The other thing is this. Not only Jesus being born makes it historically verifiable, Jesus being born means that Jesus is fully man. This is massively important. I'm going to get into this next week, but God, in order to be your savior, must be fully God and fully man. Now watch what this means for you, though. Because he's fully man, that means that he has experienced everything that you and I will ever experience. Like, do you realize that you don't worship a God who's not able to sympathize with what you're going through? You have a God who entered into the pain and the disappointment of this world. You have a God that watched his friends get sick and die. He probably watched his dad, who was poor, be disappointed by the fact that he couldn't provide the things that everybody else around them were providing for their kids. You have a God who understands the limitations of humanity and how hard it is to live in this broken world. See, your Savior was born into a poor family and watched people around him exceed, succeed in ways that he couldn't. I mean, is there anything more vulnerable than that? Like the God of the universe entrusted himself to a teenage peasant girl to raise him, to feed him, to change his diapers, to have to walk and talk and, and grow up just like every single person. The king of the universe. The king of the universe was entrusted to a person. The most vulnerable state imaginable. So Jesus being born is significant because it tells you that he's fully human. And watch what him being fully human tells you. Look at Hebrews chapter four. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, no matter what you're going through, here's what the Christmas story offers you. A God who gets it. Listen to me, he gets it. In all your pain and all your sorrow and all your joy and all your mountaintops, God gets it. And he still loves you unconditionally. He's a good father that wants to enter into your struggles. That's what it means for Jesus to be born. Here's number two. The next thing is that he's Christ the Lord. 
it's interesting. These two Greek words, Christ the Lord, Christos, Kyrios, literally means the anointed ruler. It's where we get the word Messiah from, the promised one, the anointed ruler. Jesus is the Messiah. You see, that little boy in the manger was the promised one. He was the one that the entire Old Testament was pointing to when it said that there would be a Messiah that would come to fix the world. This anointed one, this ruler, this fully God and fully man came to fix the world, and he is the ruler. I love the fact that he's not a ruler that came with an iron fist and sitting on a throne, but he's a ruler that came as a baby, humbly, so that we would worship him. See, this ruler came to win your affection by his love. He came so that he could be, number three, our savior. Did you notice that in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a savior is born? Now, what's fascinating here is if you grabbed your Bible and you go back up to the very beginning of Luke chapter two, where it says that a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus to all to be registered. What's fascinating here is that during that time, um, a registration went out, and Mary was in her third trimester, and, uh, and they, they get this census that has, they, it forces Joseph and Mary to go back to their hometown. Now, I'm sorry, but my, my mind just races to third trimester, 80-mile journey. I'm sorry, Joseph. Like, she's probably like, dude, what are we doing? Why do we have to travel? How are we getting there? I'm pregnant. We're about to have a kid. The OB told us we can't travel in my third trimester. Like, why couldn't Caesar be a little more progressive? It doesn't have to be about you, Joseph. Like, the whole argument sets in, and they get to get there, and here's what they realize at that moment. God was moving history to accomplish his plan. You know why that's important? If God can move history around to save you, don't you think that he can move around your circumstances that you're going through? See, for, for Mary and Joseph, they had no clue. They had no clue what that moment meant. They just thought that, that some evil king was moving them around so that he could have a census to uh, create more arrogance for himself. And yet God was actually moving history around so that he could accomplish his plan. Listen, maybe the last two years for you have been incredibly difficult. Maybe you lost your job or you moved here and you relocated or, or COVID was really hard on your family. And, and you don't realize that in those moments when none of it makes sense, God is still present. I was doing this Advent thing with my kids yesterday, and we're reading the story of Joseph, where Joseph's entire life just seemed ruined. His brothers, his brothers treated him like garbage, and, and then he was sold into slavery, and then Potiphar's wife uh, lied about him, and then, then the, uh, the, the, the people in prison didn't tell the truth, and then he becomes a slave, and now he's a prince. And I remember Emma was like, wait, Daddy, he went from in prison to a prince? And I'm like, yes, because that's how God works. And yet, Joseph had no clue. See, in the midst of all of it, you don't realize that God is still in control. He's in control of it all, and he moves things around so that he can be your savior. I think that's the point. The point is, is that all those Old Testament prophecies, all of them, had to be accomplished. And for them to be accomplished, God had to move around history to make it happen. Guys, the same thing's true in all of our lives. Isn't this comforting? You need to know that God cares deeply about you. He cares so deeply about you that he's willing to move circumstances to make, uh, to make happen what he has planned for your life, even if it doesn't make sense for you. This is why the angel said, fear not. Fear not. You check this out. The reason why many of us get afraid in front of the presence of God is this. Because the relationship's broken, we're afraid of what it means 
to come into God and to face rejection because of our brokenness. But the Christmas story is that Jesus entered into your brokenness to reestablish the relationship so that you and I would never have to face rejection again. So he says, fear not. This is the beauty of Christmas. Not that you and I have to prove anything, but that we have been restored in our relationship with God and there's nothing to fear. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Here's what I find fascinating. And if you've been around uh, City Church for any length of time, you've heard me tell you this before, but those two verbs, to be wrapped up and laid down, are only present together one other time in the Bible, and that's at Jesus' death. Think about the picture. The Savior of the world came into the world in the most vulnerable state to be wrapped up and laid down and cared for by somebody else, and then the Savior of the world left the world in the same vulnerable state, wrapped up and laid down. If you don't get it yet, if you don't see the humility of your king, if you don't see that that's who God came from, I don't think you're seeing the Christmas story properly. God cares that deeply for you that he came even lower than the angels, the writer of Hebrews says, to lift you up. And he left this world wrapped up so that you and I would never have to be. Now check this out. And suddenly, it was with the angels, a multitude. Now what's fascinating, I love this word multitude. It means innumerable. It doesn't mean like five or 10 or a thousand. It's all of the heaven, all the heavenly hosts. God split the heavens in half, and it's almost like the shepherds got to look up into the sky, and they saw the heavenly host praising God. They got a glimpse of heaven. For the first time in all of human history, the angels, they, they see the plan. It's unfolding right before their eyes. The savior of the world is going to be a baby in a manger, a God becoming a man, condescending himself so that he could lift us up. And all the angels in heaven sing, and they're singing out loud, and listen to what they sing. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth be peace among those whom he has pleased. Now what's fascinating about that is the two things that the angels sing. Because it's the same formula for worship for all of us. Notice the very first thing they do is they look up. Glory to God in the highest. I think, I think the point is, is at some point Christmas is supposed to make you put down your pen and worship. When you get it, when you grasp what the God man did, what Jesus did, at some point, you're just supposed to look up and say, glory to God in the highest. Which then leads to looking out at one another. See what it says? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. You know that word peace, it's in the Bible, is used as a, a wartime word. It means that the war is over. Here's what the angels are saying. You've got to grasp this. He's saying that our vertical relationship with God and our worship actually makes us feel so secure in who God says that we are that we stop competing with one another. We actually get peace with one another. Listen to me, I can tell really quickly who understands the gospel story by how we treat one another. If we're constantly coveting or jealous, I, I, maybe I, we just don't feel completely secure in who God has made us to be. See, what he's saying is true worship is one that looks up and then becomes a peacemaker on earth. That's what the word peace means. It means because we're completely secure in God, we no longer have to go to war with each other. I love the way Tim Keller, Tim Keller, he phrases this this way. Listen to what he says. Tim Keller says, until we see our instinctive hostility to God's authority, we can't understand one of the great, deep mainsprings of all human behavior. We are committed to the idea 
that the only way that we will ever be happy is if we are wholly in charge of our lives. That's the lie. Of course, this self-centered desire to command and control leads to conflict with other human beings. So hostilities with God lead to hostilities with others. There is no peace on earth because there's no peace with God. You know what Christmas does is it gives you peace with God, which then leads to peace on earth, doesn't it? If you understand that you are completely, fully loved and accepted by God, then you begin to see other people not as competition, but as brothers and sisters. See, this is the most amazing things. The Christmas story turns war-torn sinners into peacemakers who experience reconciliation everywhere. So if you are a Christ follower, your main job description is peacemaker. <laughs> Not morality, please. Or truth keeper. You're peacemaker. That's the most attractive thing that we have in the Christian life. Now, let me show you, as we wrap this thing up, a few things that the shepherds did and how that applies to our life by looking at the rest of the text. All right, look at verse 15. And the angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. All right, here's number one. The first thing the shepherds did is they listened to what the angels said. Can I just confess to you, I'm not a good listener. Like, I, I like to tell my wife I'm good at multitasking, but the reality is most of the time, if I can just confess to you, I'm hearing, but I'm not listening. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even mad at you, but some of you checked out of the sermon like 20 minutes ago. And it's, we, we're just not good listeners. Majority of the time, we hear something, but then we become so inoculated by it that we never actually listen. I think the reality is that God is speaking clearly but all too often, we're just not listening. We're not listening. I think that's the point here, is that God wants to show you that the shepherds didn't just hear the message. They listened to it. They did something about it. They got up and they went to Bethlehem to go see their king. So let me just ask you, are you listening? Are you listening to what God has to say for you? Are you listening to it? Or Again, have you just grown up around it? And this is just the seasonal time of year that we come and we do what we do because that's what you do around Christmas. Have you taken the gospel message and have you listened to it and have you received it as your own? See, God wants you to receive the most amazing news ever, but you have to listen deeply, intently. Look at verse 16. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in their heart. Here's number two. Number two is they shared what they heard. So they didn't just listen to the message and go to Bethlehem. They started telling everybody about it. Now, here's one of the things that I find fascinating, one of the craziest things. If you go back and put that last verse up there. Uh, no, go, go back to previous, that one. Nobody listened to it. You know how I know this? That word but. Okay, read it with me again. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured. There's a difference there. See, I think that the reality is, is many of the people who were standing around probably looked at the shepherds, and they looked at what they said, and they were like, yeah, but they're just liars. Like, they're the shepherds. Nobody believes them. They're the outcasts. What are they talking about? One of the most sad things to me often is, 
we tend not to listen to people we don't respect. Maybe they're lower in society or we are, or I hear this, I hear this one a lot. It's like, hey, he's, he's just an okay preacher. I, I get that, guys. You don't have to tell me that anymore. Um, the reality is, though, is, is what he's saying, is there any truth in it? I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is there any truth in it? See, because all the way through the Bible, God tends to use people that nobody really respects or has what you would think is the qualities to be the speaker. Think about it. Moses. You know, Moses had a stuttering problem. Moses had a stuttering problem so bad that he didn't want to talk. Or, or there was a time in the Old Testament where God actually spoke through a donkey. You know what that tells me? Sometimes when some of you are acting like donkeys, he can still use you. There's beauty in this. Here's the beauty in this. The beauty is, and I want to encourage you with this, is some of you don't think that you're smart enough for God to use. That's the point. God chooses the uneducated shepherds to proclaim his message. He chooses those that nobody else would think about. Listen to me. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. You see, there's nothing more powerful in this world than your personal experience with God. That's what the shepherds did. The shepherds are like, I don't know what to tell you. The heavens opened. The angels came. This is what he told me, and I'm telling you that. Same thing. Listen, I don't know what to tell you. But there was a time in my life when I was different than I am today. Somebody shared the gospel with me, and I can just tell you, you might not believe the gospel, but you just look at my life, and you go ask the people who knew me before this. I'm going to put them on the spot. You go ask my in-laws. I've been married for almost 11 years. Ask them about the guy that I was 14 years ago when I met their daughter. I want to tell you, my, my life has been changed because the gospel is real. Do you know how powerful that is? It is hard to refute that story. So go tell your story. I think statistically, it's something like 94% of people in Alpharetta don't go to church at all. And you have a story that is life-changing. God is telling you, listen, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to seminary and have like a depth of apologetics. By the way, theological arguments hardly ever save anybody. It's your personal experience with God that's powerful. It's a life changed by the gospel. See, others of you think that you've had a reputation in your past that nobody will ever take you seriously. And I, I actually get that. I get that because it took a long time for people to start taking me seriously, but the reality is, the reality is there's something powerful in a story like that because it shows that God can take even the most broken people and do amazing things through him, through them. See, God chose the shepherds because he wanted you to know that he can choose to use you too. So go and tell everybody. Tell people about Jesus because I promise you it can change their life. Now watch this, even though they didn't take they didn't take the shepherd seriously. Mary did. See this, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Notice the two things that she did here. They're really important. Mary treasured up these things. That's the first one. That's an emotional response. The emotional response there is Mary, Mary looked and she adored. Or, or when, when the, procl- the proclamation came, it was almost like this overwhelming feeling of treasuring something. Like, like the way that I look at my children sometimes and they just look at me in the eyes, I just treasure them. I adore them. I adore them and there's, there's no real um, reasoning to give you intellectually for why I do. I just do. They're just mine. This is the way that Mary thought about this message. She treasured it. She believed it in her heart. But she didn't just stop there because I think blind faith without any reason um, is fragile faith. It's weak faith. And I just don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying she treasured it, but then she pondered it. She pondered it in her heart. That word pondered is an intellectual word. 
It means that she took what they said and she thought about it. She reasoned with it. She's like, could this be real? Are they, are they telling me the truth? And then when she came to the fact that she believed it, it says she believed it and then she treasured it. Listen, Mary took the message from the shepherds and she thought about it and then believed it. See, there's a huge difference between blind faith and this kind of faith. And there's a huge difference between intellectual assent and to reading through a bunch of dialogues and never actually treasuring it in your heart. I think for many of us, we tend to land on one of those two sides of the spectrum. We tend to blindly believe our faith without ever thinking through it, and then you find out when you're 35, you deconstruct your faith because it was never solid. Or we tend to just sit over here in a bunch of academic books and we never actually believe it. The Bible's calling you to do both. You know, one of my favorite parables in the Bible is, um, it's one that you probably skip over quickly, but it's about a man who goes and he finds a treasure in a field. And, and the way that Jesus talks about it is this field is like barren, worthless field, but he goes and he finds this treasure. So he buries the treasure, and he goes back and he sells all of his possessions. And I, I can only imagine how um, people thought he was probably a lunatic. He's like, you're selling your house and your car, and you're, you're cashing in your 401k, and you're going to go buy this field that nobody wants? And the moral of the story is, yes, in this thing that nobody sees value in, there's a treasure that's worth infinitely more than anything this world has to offer. That's what the Christmas story is. In Jesus, in the gospel, you have a treasure that's worth far more than anything you could ever give up. This is what she treasured in her heart. She looked at this, she examined it, and she's saying, if this is true, if this is true, the baby that I'm holding is not just a baby, but he is the savior of the world. He's the greatest gift. The savior of the world is love without fear. It's acceptance without rejection. The question is, is do you believe this? Have you pondered this? Are you listening and have you received it? Number three, the shepherds believed. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see that? They believed it. They went back it wasn't that Christmas was a one-time event. It was that Christmas was a moment in which they heard, they investigated, they went and told, and then they left changed. See, it's not enough just to hear about Jesus. It's not enough just to see Jesus. The truth is, is if Jesus was born in Bethlehem a thousand times over and was never born into your heart, then you are still eternally lost. My question is, is this Christmas season, do you believe it? Have you experienced it? The reality is, is Jesus does not give you the option to come to him and not be changed. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. One of the silliest things you can do with Jesus is just say he was a good moral teacher. Go read what he had to say. If he was not God, he was not good. Because he let people die for him. He was probably crazy or he was God. You have to choose for yourself, but the reality is, is you cannot come and experience him and leave unchanged. At some point, you need to know, you need to know that he is calling all of us to either treasure him or reject him. Like the shepherds and like Mary, you have to have an experience with the Savior of the world. You have to believe, which leads to the last thing that they did is they obeyed. They obeyed. So look, look and see. Look and see who Jesus is, the God-man who entered into history so that you can find him. I hear people tell me all the time, I'm just searching for Jesus. Listen, he's not lost, guys. He's right there, and he's inviting you in. But you can't leave unchanged. You see, there's something miraculous about the Christmas story. It's so upside down 
that historians would tell you that there would be absolutely no way it could be made up. It's one of the greatest defenses for why Christianity is real. Nobody would make this stuff up. A king as a baby, an announcement through shepherds, a family with nothing, a savior in a manger. The only reason why anything like this would ever be written is because it's true. Because it's true. And because it really happened, it changes everything. So my question is, is do you believe it? Have you received it? Will you obey him? Christ the Lord was born so that he could be born into your heart. Look at the very last line of this. This wraps it all together. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. See, Jesus had a reveal party. The heavens opened, the angels sang, the shepherds showed up. They welcomed this poor, helpless baby into the world, but don't miss what the angels said. Joseph and Mary did not name Jesus. You realize that. The angels did. And they gave him a name that is so powerful. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, there's no J in Greek. It's an I. It's Jesus. Uh, it literally means the rescuer redeemer. Listen to what the angels are saying. Christmas is about your great rescuer being ushered into the battle to bring peace and deliver his people. You see, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the moment that God speaks, he breaks silence into an announcement, into an announcement to all the people through the lowliest of the lowliest, to tell you that your rescuer, your rescuer, redeemer is here. That your God-man, your Christ the Lord, your Christos Kyrios, your anointed ruler, your Messiah, came to be a baby so that he could save you by becoming your Jesus. That's the announcement. And in a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate this king coming forth, but my question for you is, do you realize that this announcement wasn't just made to the shepherds, it's made to you? It's made to me. The announcement that changes everything is an announcement, not just to a teenage peasant girl in a manger, not just to lowly outcasts, not just to kings and dignitaries, but to us. 